Be humble. Be gracious. And make peace with your inner fears before stepping out into the limelight and allowing yourself to be subjected to all of humanity. Maximilian DeGeneres. everyone. Welcome to another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm Kintad Svensgaard, and along with me as usual, please say hello to AJ Mass. That's me! Hello from shouting distance of the city of brotherly love. I bid you hello. <laughs> hello! I was almost so excited because I, I was sure that your uh, quote starting this episode was going to be Kendrick Lamar, and yet it was not, uh, but <laughs> I enjoyed it as well. So, folks, what do we do here? We do a little podcast about a television program called Criminal Minds. Each week, we take a in-depth look at an episode and recap it for you, and I have never seen the show before, so I'll be giving you that first watch perspective and AJ is our grizzled veteran who has seen each and every episode many a time, and he will be giving you that perspective. Ooh. This week, yeah, it's exciting, I know. This week, we will profile <laughs> season three, episode 13. Lucky number 13 of Criminal Minds. It is entitled Limelight. This episode was written by Dan Dworkin and Jay Beatty and directed by Glenn Kershaw. And it originally aired on January 23rd, 2008. Shall we get started, my friend? Uh, no, let's not get started with our episode of Criminal Minds, because we're going to get started with our episode of Storage Wars. But please, proceed. <laughs> yeah, that is actually my first thought as well. We open this week at a storage facility in southern, I'm sorry, South Philadelphia. I don't think you say Southern Philly. Uh, <laughs> hey y'all where the contents of a storage unit are being auctioned off and there are two dudes there going over their budget and disagreeing about it but one is really hoping for the big score so he coughs up 450 dollars. they win the auction for some reason they decide to wait until nighttime to come back to check the contents of their locker where they must use their flashlight batteries well, it's creepier. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting choice. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> they come back and check check on the storage unit, and they quickly find a locked chest, which I was expecting body parts, but no. Instead, we find bondage, porn magazines and pictures, and a disturbing journal, AJ, filled with... It's not a journal like a bound journal. It's just pages and pages filled with detailed notes about torture and torture devices and how to kidnap people and how to uh, tie them up and restrict them. In any case, they decide uh, maybe it's a good idea we call the cops on this one. Yeah, uh, this is a regular Leonardo da Vinci using the graph paper <laughs> to make sure that his yes. letters are all spaced out nicely and the drawings and oof, oof, quite Vitruvius. <laughs> so next we cut to the BAU office we see Rossi he is looking down at a fax of said journal pages 
and he's telling uh, Hotch that a field agent in Philly sent them over. He thinks it's worth going to check out. And you should see the classic sourpuss look that comes on his face when Hotch says, sure, but uh, how about you have Reed go with you? <laughs> and uh, Reed, of course, is psyched for a road trip. And he's got plenty of books on tape of Peter Coyote reading the entire Foundation trilogy. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when I think road trip, I definitely think Coyote reading Asimov. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and Rossi is clearly psyched for this whole thing as well. Oh, yes. I mean, really, you know, how long does Reed think this trip is? <laughs> <laughs> The whole trilogy. <laughs> Langley to Philly is not going to get you through the whole trilogy. <laughs> so next we cut to the FBI field office in Philadelphia. Sadly, we don't get any of the trilogy because we are jumping right to Reed and Rossi walking in. And everyone is staring at Rossi as they walk through the office because he is, after all, Dave Rossi, FBI superstar. Everybody seems to be in awe of Mr. or should I say Agent Rossi. Indeed. Well, not only that, I mean, you, we, we will learn that, of course, the, the person they're there to see is a huge fangirl as well. But you get the feeling that she has talked him up something fierce, like and David Rossi will be here. David mm-hmm. Rossi's got the David Rossi. Yeah, they get right to meeting Agent Jill Morris. And she is so thrilled to meet the great David Rossi. Oh, and Dr. Reed, too. Um, (laughs) She thinks that from all the torture porn and all the journals, she thinks that they're onto some kind of really big case, really big. She's quite excitable about this fact that this seems to be a, a big one. So they go over some details. They did run the name of who rented out the unit. It was a fake name that they were given, Lewis Ivey. They say there's no record of such a person. And I'm thinking, there's got to be a record somewhere. <laughs> Someone <laughs> named Lewis Ivy, maybe, I would think, in the United States. Yeah, maybe not. But maybe not. And uh, so he paid for the unit in cash until he let it go into re- arrears after six months of no payment, which means that they can put all the uh, contents up for auction. She brings them to a room that has several boxes that were taken from the unit. Reed and Rossi get to going through a And uh, it's sort of a montage of going through all the boxes. We see Reed and Rossi searching and looking through the various papers. Uh, One of the papers says rape kit. It's just the whole thing is, you know, still disturbing stuff. And this montage, man, the music, (laughs) right? Yeah, the music of the montage. And it's just like, if your episode requires a two and a half minute reading montage <laughs> you have not done your job writing this week's episode i'm sorry <laughs> yeah uh and w- like one of the parts of it was reed holding the paper up to the light to spot clues like maybe there's lemon juice writing or something <laughs> you know uh yeah thanks for the like you say two minutes of that by the way, I, I just looked up Lewis Ivy in, in the uh, anagram server to see if I could come up with interesting. And it, it is the anagram for evil is you. Mm. <laughs> mm. Very interesting. Mm, you is evil, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, after the uh, montage, Rossi goes over to Agent Morris and she's still there working late. And he lets her know that they don't really have anything 
to justify putting the BAU team onto this case. Uh, so bye-bye. She's very disappointed to hear this. And as Rossi starts to leave, she says, wait a minute, I do have a piece of evidence that I was holding on to. It appears to be a little baggie of human hair, which would suggest that perhaps this individual did not, did act, I'm sorry, did act on his twisted fantasies. And so Rossi says, okay, he'll get the team on it. And I'm, of course, left wondering why she didn't just start with that piece of evidence <laughs> to begin with. Well, not so much that she didn't start with the evidence. I mean, sure. <laughs> sure, you would like her to go in there and say, uh, and we have this evidence, this hair that we found in there. But it it was so much for... She was so over the top. Oh, you're going to find so much evidence in there that I don't need to give this to you. This will be the icing on the cake. You you can maybe see that she's like, not only that, guys, but I got, <laughs> you know, you found step one and here's step two. Here's where we go from here. Like, I could see that. However, it was, yeah, I got nothing. Nothing? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing. All right. Well, I guess you're leaving. Yep. Bye. Walk, 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 walk. Oh, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> that was where the thrust comes in. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then we go to credits. It's criminal minds with superstar David Rossi. <laughs> so we uh, come back to the BAU uh, SUV arriving at the field office and Rossi gives us our opening quote. I know indeed what evil I intend to do, but stronger than all my afterthoughts is my fury. Fury that brings upon mortals the greatest evils. Euripides. Evil is you. <laughs> Agent Euripides. I can't, I, you can't say Euripides without the stupid Taylor joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. Uh, but yeah. Euripides. I fix it. These. <laughs> there you go. We, we've already done that. We must have had a Euripides quote. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Agent Morris goes over the uh, details of the case with the team. Besides the boxes they kept from the storage unit, there were some other items there. Apparently just some books, record albums, and drawings and, and toys and stuff from back when he was a kid. They got prints. They did get fingerprints, but this guy is not in the system. So Hotch tells Morgan and Prentice to go back to the storage unit to see if they can find anything. After a little bit of conversation, he asks Reed to dig deeper into the case, maybe check out the linguistics of the journals. And he and Rossi are going to try to figure out what they can from all the images that they have. And Rossi says, what sounds like a great game show to me, find the fetish, find the fiend. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> You know, even in an episode that wasn't all that great, in my opinion, there, there, are, there are certain lines that always stand out, and that was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so we next cut to the storage unit where Prentice and Morgan are searching in daylight so they don't have to use their flashlights. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that shows, you know, probably more sense than the two dudes who bought the uh, storage unit. Well, look, Stu ran out of money. He had to go back home. <laughs> You've been too much on this thing. <laughs> so uh, Prentice and Morgan make a silly little bet about whoever g gets the best info, doesn't have to buy lunch, something like that. Okay, fine. Yeah, it, it, again, a bit of a stretch. Like, 
hey, let's make this investigation fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> As we search through the fetish porn. <laughs> yes. Uh, so they figure out, based on this guy's childhood drawings, it seems like he was a happy, well-rounded kid. Uh, one of the drawings is dated from 1976, so they're able to figure the guy's age somewhere around 38 years old. And if they go based off of the pictures and assume that they're autobiographical pictures, then uh, their kid is blonde. And Prentice says, and he's Caucasian. Morgan says, well, you hit that one on the head and holds up a copy of Van Halen's 1984. I'm like, Derek, come on, man. I I had that album, my brother. Come on. (laughs) That doesn't necessarily prove whiteness. But everybody had that album. (laughs) It was the number one album. Now, if you had pulled out the Osmonds. (laughs) Thank you. That would have been so much better. Maybe we had something there. (laughs) I mean, it's like, look, Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5. Clearly. Yeah. (laughs) You pull out thriller, don't make him black. Come on, man. (laughs) Come on. But uh, Prentice does hold up a drawing and say, she says, uh, look how the, the drawings change over the years. We zoom into the drawing, and then the drawing becomes some random, happy-go-lucky family, uh, you know, in the regular criminal minds style that they yeah, do. They're doing their they're doing their criminal minds thing where they want to show live action video that, while they're talking, and they think it's less. They think that just having her talk would be boring and less interesting. So this is a way to jazz it up a little bit. I mean, it's it's okay. You didn't need the crayon drawing. She could have just said, "Hmm, let me let me theorize mm-hmm. and dissolve to it." It's like, don't make the crayon drawing come to life. Exactly. Uh, you might as well just go full Wallace and Gromit next. Time. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't mind seeing that. But yes, so. Uh, yeah, they talk. She, Princess is saying, you know, they started out as a happy family, but at some point, the mom either goes away or she dies, and the father is struggling to make ends meet, and the boy begins to withdraw into himself, and uh, she says really dramatically, "This is his turning point." Uh, I don't know what Which effect. Would be fine. <laughs> the name of the episode was "Turning Point." Yes. Uh, I don't know the effect that that was supposed to have, but I just laughed for some reason when she said it. She did. Oh, more like, if Reed was there, more like a fulcrum. <laughs> uh, she does ask, I wonder what informed his fantasies. <laughs> and then we zoom into Boudoir Magazine. <laughs> and then zoom out of Boudoir Magazine yes. to travel by Porno Mag. That was our first instance of that, I believe. Sahaj and Rossi yes. looking at the same Porno Mag, which again, was like, what? He had two copies, apparently. Why did they have the same one? Yeah. You just found it there. Uh, yeah, so we are back with Hotch and Rossi, and, and they're looking at the porn magazines, and uh, they say that our our sub started off relatively tame and then got into more hardcore torture porn and rossi starts to do this humble brag about how when he was interviewing bundy and uh hotch cuts him off in in mid quote and finishes the quote for him because he says he's read rossi's books too <laughs> i mean you know rossi was humble bragging but i mean if you read the book then he he 
he ain't wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> true, true that. So back at the storage unit, they find some more books that indicate that this guy was in trade school. And uh, he seems to be in the fix-it field, uh, probably construction or home improvement, etc. Then they find uh, a bunch of dresses that have been altered. We figure that these are the trophies for this guy and that this guy is a cross-dresser. And Prentice looks at Morgan and says, looks like she's buying lunch. I, I don't know how they determined that piece of information was the most the breakthrough for this case. But uh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Look, they have their own rules and whatever. It's their game. <laughs> as long as they're going to settle the argument amongst themselves, does it really matter? No, probably not. <laughs> so we cut back to Reed and Rossi. Reed has figured out that the torture that this guy loves the most appears to be electric shock. Reed has figured this out from the linguistics. Reed gets congratulated by Rossi because he says this is a signature that should be pretty easy to track. Example, the electrical burns should be unmistakable. Although the Mr. Burns won't figure it out for another hour or so. (laughs) Smithers. We next cut to JJ. She's doing a a presentation showing a victim they found, Dana Foster. She's a 34-year-old real estate agent who was murdered five years ago. When she went to a house to meet a prospective buyer, her body was found in the cellar. She was strangled and raped, a nude body. The torture behavior that Reed identified is there because there are burn marks that are likely the result of electrical current. The buyer she went to meet used a fake name, and they say it's Lewis Ivy. It wasn't clear to me that this was the same. It's apparently he used the same name. I'll just put it that way. It was a little unclear yeah. the way they phrased it. Well, it was unclear because they didn't make a big deal out of it because they could very easily have said, "Okay, so now we have a case here. Clearly, this is our guy," and they didn't emphasize that. Yeah. You're right. And again, it's just sloppy because they need to hold back what's going to happen so long. And it's just like, but right there, it's like, okay, we got a case. Cool. (laughs) And Agent Morris is overly excited as she's saying, could this guy be any more perfect? The way she says it elicits double takes from both Hotch and Prentice. So we're looking at her like, girl, what's going on with you? And, um, they mentioned that no clothes were found at the scene because uh, our unsub probably takes them as souvenirs and alters them to fit his own frame. And Morris immediately says, so he's bisexual. <laughs> Even in 2008, AJ, we, did, we, we knew that cross-dressing wasn't an indication of sexuality, right? right. It's just... It, uh, well, as a, as a big Eddie Izzard fan... <laughs> and, and having seen her perform many years, I mean, at the time, uh, Eddie was still identifying as male and saying, you know, talk about being a transvestite, and, and but the sexuality doesn't match. So yeah, this was definitely in the, in the cultural zeitgeist at that point. It, this is just a very cringy take anyway, mm-hmm. like, uh, cross-dressing equals bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, that doesn't even make any sense. I mean, I, I almost would have preferred if she had just said, oh, so he's gay. Because that would have at least shown a complete ignorance understanding of the situation. Right. But bisexual is like a choice to like just be totally like what? Yeah. 
I just I don't get the writing here. I, I don't. It's just cringy. So Reed does correct her on uh, on that, and then Rossi asks her if any of the uh, victim's hair was missing, and JJ says no. And I did notice a, a little bit of interesting body language, acting, direction that they gave Agent Morris there when she hears this comment, uh, which we will get into later. And Hotch uh, then has JJ call Garcia and to let her know to widen the search while Rossi and he go to the crime scene. We cut to the home where Rossi and Hotch are talking to the guy who eventually bought that house that the uh, body was found at. Yeah, and it's it's a weird it's a weird bit of again editing here where there's some really bad ADR before they get to the door where it's like, son, son, what are you doing? Oh, I'm not doing anything, father. Yeah. Oh, there's the door. I'll go get it. So we know a father and son live there. Like it did they film I I'm wondering, did they film the scene with the kid inside? It was just so bad <laughs> that they decided we need a montage of reading. Yes. Backfill. Because this it's just, it's just a very odd choice. Yeah, because the, especially because they make a point of not need. Please don't tell my son. Don't tell my son. So don't don't have the son there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So he does after you say uh, asking them not to let his son catch on. He does let them go search the cellar, which he uh, actually has kept locked up since he bought the house. So they go to the cellar. He unlocks it for them, and he's gonna stay outside. He doesn't want to go in there with him. And I was thinking, would they really? Well, I guess they would have let him follow him if he gets his house. But <laughs> yeah, it, like, he seems so amenable. They know he's not the guy who's, who's the killer here. He's not a suspect at all. He bought the house. Did they disclose to you? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know all about the murder in the, in the cellar. So yeah. if he's that helpful, sure. <laughs> at least walk down. Maybe, maybe after he's down, just to. He's never been there. All right, let's fulfill his curiosity, and then then he'll go <laughs> when we ask. Exactly. I, I can see that. Exactly. So basically, they go through the facts, and they figure out that the killer must have followed the woman down to into the cellar after asking to see it, then whacked her on the back of the head, and then suspended her from a crossbar using ropes. And then he applied electrical current to her, and they figure out that he must have used a jerry-rigged outlet, which still has, you know, is set up for that. And uh, pull, he pulled power from the house to give her some shocks. And uh, Rossi says, oh, handy guy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> handy guy. <laughs> we then cut back to the office and JJ is letting Agent Morris know that Rossi and Hatcher Hotch are back. And uh, she does notice all the certificates, trophies, and awards that Agent Morris has. And, and J.J. is impressed by this. But Morris blows it off like it's not important to her. But you completely know that it is. And that's, of course, why she has all of them displayed. Oh, these 115 <laughs> plaques and trophies? <laughs> yes. So uh, J.J. starts to leave. But before she can go... Morris does call her over to ask her uh, what she thinks of these and shows her a whiteboard that lists the nicknames that she has set up for this killer. Uh, AJ, let's go down the list. We've got... Uh, Please do, yes. I knew you would have written down because I, I wrote them down too, but go ahead. <laughs> We've got the ACDC killer, 
I think you're going to have problems there because of the band. Right, exactly. Uh, ETK, electrocute, torture, kill. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, maybe if he made his victim's phone home. <laughs> uh, the High Voltage Slayer. Mm, nah, that doesn't really work. That's not a good one. And <laughs> the Fuse Box Butcher. I like that as a name if he had axed them as well. You know, like a combo electric shock hatchet job. That might be okay, but they're not really butchered. And AJ, then we came to my favorite, probably yours. The winner. As the winner, well. yep. If you read it real quick, you might read it as shock therapist. However, <laughs> I immediately read it as a rap name, shock the rapist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, shock therapist. Shock the rapist. Yeah, I, that, that harkens back to my favorite Three's Company joke of all time <laughs> when Jack gets a card of, of Janet's new boyfriend and he's like, it says it right on his card. He's the rapist. <laughs> he's a therapist, Jack. <laughs> uh, yeah, shock the rapist, Jack. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Uh, Silk the Chaka. Featuring Shock the Rapist and Chance the Rapper, as you've never seen them before. Uh, so JJ, JJ is like, of course, put off by this. And she's like, uh, you know, we don't really want to mythologize these guys. And Morris says, oh, okay. Uh, these aren't very good anyway. And JJ's just looking at her like, girl, you crazy. <laughs> uh, well, here's the thing. And I will, I will, I will preface this with: I've seen all the episodes of Criminal Minds, so I know where we're going with this. But uh, no, JJ is correct. The one thing they don't want is the police naming these killers. Now, as long as it stays in house, though. Now, there are times, certainly, that the BAU is guilty of nicknaming for shorthand and reasons of clarity, so they don't always say unsub, unsub, unsub. It's like hey, we're looking for, and they have a name for the unsub. Uh, so they're not immune to doing this, but it, it kind of either becomes natural, it comes out naturally, or, you know, maybe the, a cop suggests it, and they say, all right, we'll go with it, why not, for shorthand. But it, they're never the ones who, who brainstorm sessions. Right. <laughs> right. Let's workshop this. Yeah. She's, she seems like she's putting the cart before the horse. It's, it's... Yeah, it's certainly not <laughs> when you, you, you're the early stages of figuring all this stuff out. <laughs> and as JJ tells her, they don't even know if this is an actual serial killer yet. <laughs> so let's exactly. we have, the brakes. <laughs> we have a storage unit. <laughs> we have one lock of hair. <clears throat> and we have this cold case that we think maybe perhaps might be our victim. Maybe. But, I mean, like you said, we don't know if he's serial yet. And then the Lenny and Squiggy come in. Hello. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's Prentice uh, saying, yes, actually, we do know this guy is serial. We cut to Garcia in her office telling them that there's three more victims she found all within the appropriate age range 31 to 38 all discovered off of freeways in maryland jersey and new york and all of them have burn wounds consistent with the signature that they're looking for you know the quad state area (laughs) what (laughs) 
the, anybody in the Northeast uh, should probably get that. And and all my geography we fans. In New Hampshire, we found one in Vermont. We found one in West Virginia. You know. <laughs> so again, it, it's it's not wrong by any means. It's just this is just a very awkwardly written episode. Mm-hmm. Uh. So they figure that this guy must have disposed of the bodies in different states to avoid detection. And Garcia says the bodies were found between 02 and 03. And it's apparent that after the real estate agent, he changed his methods around. Agent Morris says, hmm, four kills by the age of 30. We quick flash to some crime scene photos. And Hotch says he was just getting started as we go to a break. Yeah, I mean, again, we still don't 100% know that these are all linked, but okay, working theory, sure, let's go with it. Uh, but as we will see when we get back from break, uh, someone's running with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we come back to the same crime scene photos uh, that we were looking at before of the other victims, and Agent Morris is looking at them with Reed and Morgan. Now that they have more victims, they're able to work up a better victimology Basically, people in their 30s, attractive, Caucasian, upwardly mobile. Van Halen fan. <laughs> exactly. And apparently this guy was doubling his pace between each kill. The time is getting you know, shorter between kills. And the last known victim that they have was found five years ago. So Agent Morris asks if this guy could have stopped. And Morgan says, no, not this guy. We probably just haven't found all the bodies yet. And read ballparks that they're probably talking about approximately 19 more women. And more, Agent Morris says, great stuff, guys. Keep me posted. <laughs> and walks out. And Morgan does a Morgan raise up the eyebrow and says, she does know we don't work for her, right? <laughs> it's just, she is just, you know, like we said, there's the three types of, of uh, officers we encounter. It's the ones who are completely clueless and just be with BAU, please help me, help me, help me. The ones who are like, ah, oh, BAU, bah, we don't need the BAU. I'm only begrudging that you have. And there's the ones who are just not helpful. They hinder, they get in the way. And clearly she is in the camp of these. She's getting in the way and to the point of arrogance. And she's FBI. She's not even local cop. Yeah. She's local FBI, which makes it even worse. I did think there was one creepy little uh, part of this whole thing too is, Reed was like, well, maybe there aren't any bodies because there were plans for an incinerator within his notes. It was like, that's just a creepy <laughs> thought. This guy is like, oh, I better upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, next we cut to a profiling scene. The team lets everyone knows the profile. Basically, it's all the same stuff we've heard before. This guy is a true sexual sadist. He gets aroused by the suffering of his victims Killing is an afterthought. He's more into them having pain. And then he takes their clothes and probably uses them for rehearsal fantasies, which I won't get into <laughs> what he does, but uh, it's plenty disgusting. And he's been doing it a long time, and he doesn't appear to have any boundaries. Yeah, and they, they, were, they, were, they, were, doing, they were doing this with the, the usual profile tricker, trickery of the dissolve right. and things appearing, which is just boring and all that. But I don't know, did you notice... Uh, during this whole thing that Morris wasn't there? Because I certainly noticed. <laughs> yes, I did notice that, actually. No, was... I actually noticed because there were no women in the room. Like, it was man, 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 man. All like, dudes, yeah. 
I'm like, what, what? And then there was one woman in the background. I was, so I was actually looking for it just because I noticed how many suits were in the room. Um, yeah, I just, I just, I didn't, I did say, hmm, she's not, because I thought it was odd because I thought she would be there trying to kind of show that she figured out a bunch of stuff. Right, exactly. And uh, she wasn't there. So then JJ does come in and interrupt the profile to call Hotch over. And we cut to them looking at a TV screen of Agent Morris giving a press conference on this case. <laughs> she done jumped the gun completely. Uh, she's saying, oh, this guy is on our radar and we're going to find him and we're going to bring him to justice. Hotch is pissed. And also real quick, we cut to what's clearly our unsub kicking back, apparently, because his feet are all up in front of the TV screen. But uh, he's he's looking at the same television report. We come back to the office, the office, <laughs> the <hassle> office. <laughs> <laughs> we come back to the office and Hotch is, of course, going off on Agent Morris for the press conference. And <laughs> Rossi is standing by nearby and is eavesdropping on this whole conversation and Hotch is telling her she needs to tell this team if she's going to be doing any kind of a conference and she says well this news was going to leak out anyway she just wanted to put a reassuring face on the situation and Hotch tells her yeah your face that's what you want to put on there she says well I am the case agent and Hotch tells her she is also outranked by every member of his team so she drops her survivor reference, says, what are you going to do? Vote me off the island? You know, I like that <laughs> only because only because we are about three, four weeks away from the next season of Survivor kicking in. And so I am sure that CBS is flooding promos all over this joint. Like, you know, next week, next Wednesday. You know, yeah, we're, like, we're just three weeks away from Wednesdays, Wednesdays, Wednesdays before Criminal Minds. So I do like the fact that they mentioned it. This is a uh, this is uh, right after the Survivor China season was the most recent season. That was going to be my guess. I was really about to throw out China. Huh? That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Todd Herzog, uh, defending champion, as we uh, get ready to head into the next year. <laughs> was was that the James season uh, of uh, giving oh, yeah. away yes, the indeed. extra? James going home with two idols in his pocket. <laughs> Uh, that's a different podcast, folks, but yes. So uh, Hotch lets uh, Agent Morris know that nothing tears apart a case faster than some agent trying to make his or her name on the case. And she says, look, she's just trying to protect her city from what could be the most prolific serial killer since Charles Cullen. And Hotch says, well, what about Michael Stranko, Florian Gall, and Christopher Hardgrove? And Morris doesn't know who these are. And Hodge is like, bam, <laughs> those are Cullen's victims. And I, I hear that and I said, I thought she said this guy was prolific. <laughs> I mean, yes. some of his victims, not all of his victims. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> okay. I kept going, but point was made. I, I prefer to think it, it's funny that she just thinks that this guy who killed three people. <laughs> was a, a prolific well, I, I was just anticipating because her name was Morris for her to just go time out <laughs> uh, anyway his point is is that no one remembers the victim everybody remembers the killer and that's exactly what happens when an agent puts a story ahead of a case and guess what we don't need no agents like that in the FBI am I understood and Morris nods and looks well chastened 
<laughs> and outside the room where uh, Arasi is standing there, eavesdropping, he looks kind of thoughtful as he is listening to the conversation. He walks off. I actually thought he was going to walk right right in there and, and immediately have a confrontation. But no, he thinks better of it and just walks. Mm-hmm. Walks away, but uh, into the mental Rolodex. Exactly. We cut to Reed, Morgan, and Prentice. They're having a meal at a cafe, basically just talking smack about Morris's annoying behavior. I enjoyed this scene because that's exactly what you do at work. You go out to eat and you talk shit about the person <laughs> that's been getting on your nerves all day. And that's what's Absolutely. happening. Although the, the, the way that this conversation develops is interesting because Emily kind of takes her side and it's, it's interesting. I wish there was more to this conversation because it just feels like it's, Oh, let's throw one line in there. And then we'll move on. It's actually interesting. Like, would we be, would we be hating on her so much if she wasn't a woman? Is what Emily is is trying to get at here. And personally, uh, watching this episode with the modern lens, like, yeah, I I, I hate her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it had nothing to do with her. Like the fact that she's in charge seems normal to me. So it didn't even occur to me that she was that there was a question there. Like, no, she's horrible. She's just a horrible person. Right. She's, but at the time, I think that was still, this is before Me Too. This is before a lot of stuff. So I, I, I get why they threw this in here, but I don't I don't think they, they would have had this conversation today. <laughs> Agreed. So Reed has his uh, map, and of course, because Reed is the map king. Yeah. We've <laughs> determined that that is Reed's job now to color. <laughs> and they look over it and they realize they don't have much right now and basically the only thing that is going to help them would be a fresh kill and of course none of them want that unlike Agent Morris. Agent Morris because we start the conversation like uh, does it do you guys like she's rooting for more victims? <laughs> exactly. We cut to apparently it's a hotel room of Rossi and Morris is there it's late at night she knocks on the door he opens up she tells him about Hotch's tongue lashing and basically she commiser- she wants to commiserate with him and, uh, and uh, says, how about we go get some drinks? So we cut to a bar and she's there monologuing to Rossi about her overachieving past. And then Rossi starts to profile her. She mentions that she has, she had a single parent and she says uh, he figures out that it was her father and he says, a good man who you came to see as weak, unable to provide, probably a scotch drinker, based on, obviously, what she's drinking. And she points out, yeah, but uh, she prefers a single malt. Is that what she said? A single malt, I think is what she said. Yeah. It was one was blend. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a scotch drinker, so I kind of zoned out on that. <laughs> uh, point being, though, is that Rossi is very good at profiling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. She does uh, remember, brings up, she remembers seeing Rossi at a, one of his seminars in 97. It's funny, Rossi's able to n- name the seminar. She was basically in the third row, hanging on his every word. And he tells her that she has a good memory. And she says his first book had come out and he signed her copy. And hey, she kind of had a thing for him. And Rossi's like, what? And she's like, well, yeah, you were a star. No one else in the bureau made the inroads into publishing and consulting like he had. Jeez, <laughs> awful, awful. 
awful job of flirting. Yes. No one else has made the inroads. Mm, wink, wink. <laughs> um, I'd like to make some inroads. <laughs> In bed. <laughs> so uh, Rossi looks at her and, and says, your hair was a bit lighter and a bit longer then, wasn't it? And she's like, ooh, talk about a good memory. And Rossi says, no, I don't remember you, it, which cracked me up because she, she was like uh, thinking, of course, of course he remembers me. No, I, I don't remember you. It, that would just explain the fact that the hair that you had claimed to find in the storage unit wasn't probably what happened. And then is when she starts to get a little bit kind of ticked off. She tells him, hey, stop profiling her. And he's like, well, it seems to me like you manufactured evidence to get a BAU commitment. And then she says, look, it was for the greater good. And Rossi lets her know, you know what? I was just like you, but I burned a lot of bridges. People got hurt. You need to be careful. Your ego is going to get you in trouble. And then he tells her uh, he needs to go and, and rest, get some rest because her little press conference is going to bury them the next day. And she's like, well, how would it do that? And so we next cut to the montage of the next day, a bunch of different people descending upon the FBI office. They all have to be interviewed. We see them going through that. They bring up whatever missing persons that they might have and anything that they, they are suspecting might be foul play. One guy's even, or one lady's even talking about how she has to dream something <laughs> in order for it. You know, you just get the idea. Oh, great. Thanks for all, all this the, extra all work. Yeah, all the crazies and cranks are going to come out. And yeah, maybe there'll be some in there that are valid, but how are we going to discern them when we have to go through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these for doing a press conference when we ain't ready for a press conference? Thank you so much. I I, I just also love the fact that, like, you know, that whole conversation, Jeff Rossi's just like, uh, yeah, is that why you uh, put your own hair in the back? Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, what? <laughs> And I'm thinking at this point, though, like, here, here's the thing. And it's not addressed. Like, it, that hair had to have been there for a while because it wasn't like she just dyed her hair before they came in. Like, that was a long time ago. She's had that hair. It makes me think that she was a victim in a crime. Mm. Like, that was where I thought this was going. It doesn't go there. It's like, is she this devious that she, I might need this hair someday for something and just has it? Or did, was she really a victim of a crime? And this evidence isn't from this case, but it, it, it's her hair and it is evidence of, of a crime. So that's why she, I, I don't know. It's just weird. It's very, very weird. Yeah. Uh, one of the women that's in the police office talk is talking about a woman that disappeared two months ago. And she shows this picture of a woman wearing a blue dress. And of course we cut to our unsub wearing the dress, all silence of the lambs <laughs> style. Uh, and he's listening to re a recording of him of himself torturing the woman, and he's going through and saying her lines, basically playing out the whole fantasy as they described in their profile that he would be doing. Uh, we hear him shocking her. We hear the electrical zap, which I would think might be hard to record, but we do hear them perfectly well. They. Just, you know, all it means is that the, the episode of Twin Peaks is over. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we hear him shocking her and her. she's screaming, just kill me over and over again. And he's repeating it as he 
walks around kind of fondling himself in her dress. We hear a little another electrical zap and then we go to a break. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, it's a good break. That, that's what you do. And again, I think the, the emphasis there is that they had someone who came in who would have been helpful. And it's going to get buried in all of this nonsense because of what she did. So she didn't help. Exactly. Even though this woman did come forward, there, there's no way for them to pick it out of the lineup, as it were. We come back from break and we're in like a police dispatch uh, office and we see an operator getting a call from someone saying that he was on I-76 and there's a field off the road and he saw a man digging a hole for the body, uh, a bleeder stripped of its clothes and the dispatcher asks for this guy's name and all he says is mile marker 115 on the eastbound side, they'll find it. And we cut to the office where Morris, Hotch, and Reed are, are listening. And Morris asks Hotch if anything strikes him about this. And Hotch points out that the unsub was objectifying the victim. And they point out the way he referred to the body as a bleeder, which was a very misogynistic and horrible way for him to refer to women. So they head off to the field to go check out the scene. Yeah, all that was missing, though, was for him to say rubs a lotion on its skin or has to get the hose again. The voice is just off enough where you go, eh, this is probably unsub. I don't even care if, if you know, if I'm working 911 and this, this this comes in, I'm immediately going, you're the unsub, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not supposed to say this. Daddy, daddy, <laughs> what's your name? <laughs> you don't need my name. But you know what's Louis Ivy. Hey, hey, hey. So we cut out to this field by the side of the, the, the road and Princess and Morgan are there. They're walking up to the medical examiners who are looking over a body that's buried in a shallow grave. Body is apparently well preserved because it's been pretty cold the past few months. And then they do see the electrical burns on the body and they ask the Emmy if they can get the body ID'd via the teeth as soon as possible. They start to walk off. But the Emmy calls them back because guess what? As they were lifting up that first body, they found another body buried underneath that first body. Two bodies, AJ. Two, Two bodies. Perfectly. <laughs> I like. I like that. I like that reveal. That that was pretty yep. cool. It, it, you know, it made it made sense. And they, it's the one thing when you have so many long tracking shots of people walk away from scenes, you suddenly don't expect them to be called back. So in some sense, the montages did help that moment. Oh, it's not that big a reveal that it needs it, but it was at least a little different. Right. And then we, when we reverse Kodak back to the field office. <laughs> yes, we do. And agent Morris is there. She's wondering why this guy would call in and, and basically give them two bodies. And they point out to her that she vowed publicly to bring him in. And he's probably reacting to that just to show her what she's dealing with. Rossi says this guy is a narcissist. He's preening. And Agent Morris is all, good, I hope he keeps it up. And Prentice is like, uh, you don't really want that. And Morris says, hey, every time he, he does something like this, he's going to drop a breadcrumb and uh, give himself away. And Prentice points out, yeah, but he'll be dropping bodies as well. <laughs> or, or, or are you forgetting that little detail? Morris says if he's making it personal, he'll get sloppy and give himself away. And Rossi is starting to think about this and says, you know what? That's what he wants because it never had tracked with him why this guy would 
default on the storage unit in the first place. He wanted them to start at the beginning, find all the evidence, chart his evolution, chronicle his every step. And Agent Morris says, okay, if this is his story, what chapter are we on? And Rossi says, the final one. He's writing it as we speak. (laughs) We cut to see a woman in a car. She's driving through a narrow alley. She's talking to her spouse on the phone. When a guy in a van behind her rear ends the car, she hangs up, gets out. After a quick little chat, are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. Everything's okay. Okay. Uh, She goes back to her car to get her paperwork, and the driver of the van knocks her out from behind, throws her in his van, and takes off. Uh, Very bold, you know, just out on the the street, right at a stop sign. Yeah. It's a little narrow area, but to me, though, I mean, full... Full fault. You know, it's always some fault. We, normally, we say how the how the how the women on the show, they the victims, they do a good job of knowing the rules and doing as much as they can to avoid being victims. You have someone on your phone. The guy just rear-ended you. You are alone. Do not hang up that phone. Keep the line open so he can hear what's going on. Like that is that was her mistake. Again, not her fault, but right. She, she's a reporter. We're going to find out. I mean, you, you, she was talking about her, her deadlines and working on a story. So we, we right. kind of need to this reporter here. Come on. Come on. Think, think, think. <laughs> we uh, got to a quick scene of Garcia. She's talking to Morgan and she's talking about what got her through the pain when she got shot uh, was knowing that the pain would end. But these torture victims didn't even get that. And all of a sudden, her computer bleeps at her. She's got the ID coming in from the dental records. So Morgan puts her on the speaker and she lets him know that the two women in the grave were Mimi Adams and Sarah Coswell. And they were uh, also in the missing persons files that they flagged as possible victims from before. The other thing she found was both women were reported missing four months ago on the same day. And Rossi says, oh, he's doing doubles. Basically, that means he's up the stakes and he killed two women in one day. A cop interrupts to let uh, Agent Morris know that the Chronicle is online, too. Uh, She looks around and she's like, "Uh, yeah, I'll take that in my office. And (laughs) she ignores Morgan as she's walking out and he asks her if she's planning on another press conference. I mean, Uh, he ain't wrong. Mm hmm. We cut to her picking up the phone, and it is Cat Townsley. She tells her, uh, after a quick little Agent Morris saying, oh, she doesn't have any new information, Cat says, no, 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 she has something for her. Check her email. And while she's checking it, Morris does note that she sounds funny, like she's tired, or there's something funny going on with her. But Cat says, no, 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 nothing. And Morris doesn't follow up on that. She just checks the email and it's from the guy that claims to be the unsub and Morris is uh, grabs a piece off her desk of one of the journal pages and holds it up and realizes it's the same printing. She says she needs to see the rest of this letter. Uh, so she'll go to meet Kat to get it. Kat says, okay. And we cut to a shot of her and it's the woman from the car before 
And we see that our unsub is holding the phone up to her head. Yeah, I mean, it it, it all tracks. I, I like this. I actually like this entire sequence of, you know, Garcia talking about being shot. So we, they haven't forgotten that she was shot at, at some point there. Um, but she's talking about this is what it's like when you're a victim. This is what it's this is what you feel. And, you know, now we're focusing on a victim that we know, quote unquote, because, you know, now we know that Kat's got a connection to, to the case in some way. So I, I, I do like the way it, it definitely makes it more than just random woman being abducted. It's person who has some sort of relationship to one of the characters, even though we don't like Morris, like there, there's a relationship there. So it, I, I like I like where this is setting up this this part of the episode, the structure works. We cut to the rest of the team and JJ comes in. She has someone who might match the victim type and Reed suggests that she check uh, some DNA against her hair, against the hair that they found. So that forces Rossi to admit that that's not going to work because Morris didn't get her hair from the storage unit. And Hotch is a little upset, it seems. And he's like, you didn't tell us this until now. Rossi you know, tries to defend himself and and Hotch is like, why do you keep defending her? Rossi finally says, because she is him 20 years ago. And Hotch says, she's nothing like you. But he says he took serial killers mass market. I thought that was an interesting way to phrase it. He says everyone knows the serial killers names, but not the victims. Right. Basically, Rossi says he put himself first and he can't go back in the past to change that. But it's not too late for Agent Morris. Or is it? Dum, 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 because she ain't going to hear him. <laughs> Prentice comes in to let them know that a possible victim was just flagged. Car was found idling. The back end was damaged. It was a bump and grab. That's what Reed calls it. This person fits the profile. Her name is Katrina Townsley, 34. She's a reporter from the Chronicle. And Rossi's like, oh, snap, Chronicle? Uh, so he runs over to Morris's office and, and Reed has followed him. And uh, the killer's letter is still on Morris's monitor. And Rossi asks Reed if they already had this letter. And Reed says, no, he's never seen it before. And he asks why the killer would send Agent Morris a letter. And Rossi says, she's his final chapter. Which is the second time we've talked about final chapter. So <laughs> could have named the episode the final chapter. <laughs> could have, sure. Uh, yeah. Or shock the rapist. <laughs> that would have been my choice. <laughs> We do Take cut. Shot. <laughs> we cut to see Agent Morris in a parking lot, and our unsub easily kind of gets the drop on her and knocks her out. I thought, you know, poor FBIing there, Agent Morris. <laughs> I'm not trying to blame the victim, yes, but uh, she was not paying attention in the right direction, and he's able to knock her out, throw her in his van bind her hands together she's coming to and she sees that there's a bound and gag cat crying across from her as we cut to a break i like the way you said that though the bound, bound and gag cat because it took me a second different episode if there was a bound and gag feline <laughs> we do come back and everybody is figuring out what must have happened. Garcia has tracked the IP address of the machine that sent the uh, email. 
And apparently it was an internet cafe outside of Germantown. She'll send the address for that. Meanwhile, Reed and Rossi are already at the parking garage where Morris's phone was found. And they can tell that she was obviously dragged away. There's a slight little blood trail. And Rossi is like, this should have never happened. He told her to slow down, check her egos, use her team. And Reed says, well, there was no way you could know that she'd go off by herself. And Rossi says, actually, he did know as sure as he knows himself. I think we all knew, quite frankly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We cut to see the unsub. He has Cat secured to a, a wire mattress frame. And he's walking around holding electrical contacts to each other, making zapping sounds, which would frighten me if I was bound and gagged and tied to a mattress, <laughs> metal mattress frame. Uh, uh, yeah. He uh, hooks the cables to the side of one of the cables to the side of the mattress frame. And we can tell he's shocking cat by the noises and, and also see that he's recording her on his computer and he's telling her she can go louder. And we're zoomed in on agent Morris's teary face as she's forced to look at the torture of this woman, who, to be fair, it's kind of her fault is there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, I mean, not... I mean, it's the, it's no, the no, unsub, no. but... Oh, no, it, again, it, who poked the bear? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We uh, cut over to the internet cafe. Hotch is talking to a worker there and uh, describes to the worker what they're looking for. And a nice little scene for this guy, but I'm not going to get into it. Basically, (laughs) their guy was there and he thinks that the guy left in a white van. That's the information he's able to give. (laughs) We cut back to the torture room. Looks like now Kat is unfortunately unconscious and our sub comes up to Morris and asks uh, if she's ready. And she's looking at him with defiance in her eyes, and he's telling her to beg him not to do anything to her. We cut back to Reed doing his map magic, trying to figure out where she might be within a four-mile radius that he has it narrowed down to. Garcia calls Morgan. He asks her to clickety-clack the list they have for all the electricians, power company employees, and electrical engineers, and to triangulate it between the addresses that Reed sent her. Garcia needs something to narrow it down more. They tell her to add DMV records that indicated he might have been in a white band. Garcia's like, Yahtzee. So I guess she rolled a five of a kind. And she is able to find a name. But first we cut to the unsub, and he now has Morris tied to the mattress frame. Then we see very quickly the FBI team roll up on the house bust down the door. We cut back to Morris. They've heard something. She tells the guy, oh, they're coming. It's over. And he says, no, it'll never be over. Not for us. And I'm wondering if we're going to get the classic fake out and the FBI is elsewhere since we've already had some Silence of the Lambs (laughs) references. Maybe they'll do it again here. But no, because the FBI is there. They run into the room and the unsub gives himself up, surrenders immediately. There's no spectacular fight or anything. He just, <laughs> that's it. It was kind of, kind of uh, just rather anticlimactic, I thought. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 
Hey, Garcia, can you clickety-clack? Yeah. Here it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, they call for a medic for a cat. And Rossi cuts down Agent Morris from the mattress. She's apologizing to him, and he's saying, it's okay, it's okay. He's comforting her. She's going to be all right, he says. Next, we cut back to the office, and Hotch has the file on the unsub. This guy's name is Jeremy Andrus. Not that it matters. He's 41. Not that it matters. He fits their profile perfectly. Not that it matters. Prentice says, this is all a small consolation and lets him know that this guy who's talking to Morgan and basically pointing out all his victims lets him know that there are already up to 17 victims and um, mentions they haven't even gotten through the 2006 pile. And this guy isn't really speaking. He's just pointing out all of his victims to uh, Morgan, who's in there interrogating him. We do a cut to the hospital where Rossi is asking Agent Morris if she is uh, okay, if she's sure. And Agent Morris is saying she's fine. She's got like one bandage on the side of her <laughs> on the side of her head. And she basically feels like he's just there to say, I told you so. You shouldn't have done this, blah, blah, blah. He's trying to say, no, you went through a trauma. And it's, it is kind of interesting that you didn't even ask me about the condition of the other victim. And she interrupts, which implies that I'm a victim and I'm not. I'm like, girl, you was a victim. So. Girl, did you not listen to Garcia? Oh, wait, she wasn't on speaker yet. <laughs> yeah, right. And Rossi finishes his sentence, which basically says is that uh, he thinks she's already in an early stage of denial. And Morris says, you know what? She can handle it. She walks out. And then Rossi is yelling after her that the other victim didn't make it. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, poor cat. It was rough, rough end for her. Agent Morris pauses. She doesn't look too happy, but she doesn't turn around to talk to Rossi. She just walks out. Uh, she walks out of the medical center. and <laughs> It's kind of corny. To one side on her right, <laughs> you know, there's the the guy from the FBI with the car ready to drive her back home. And to the left side, there's a news van with a gaggle of reporters. It's like, oh, what choice is she going to make? Yep. <laughs> of course, she walks around over to the reporters. They start peppering her with questions and she smiles at them. Very photogenic at this point. And tells them, you know, one question at a time, and I'll get to all of you. And Rossi is just looking on, like, well, yep, I just lost this one. (laughs) (laughs) She's not going to be doing the right thing. He uh, walks by the side and kind of gives her a look. And they, she does make eye contact with him as she's talking to the reporters. And then she just puts her attention back on the reporters. And as Rossi gets into the SUV, we do get an end quote. He says, for every, for we pay a price for everything we get or take in this world. And although ambitions are well worth having, they are not to be cheaply won. Lucille Maud Montgomery. And that's our episode, AJ. That is mercifully our episode. It, it was... Uh... Hey, look at this. Look at this FBI agent who's not really in it for the right reasons. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. <laughs> well, I guess we don't have to deal with her ever again, right? <laughs> oh, I, I hope not, but I don't know. The way you said that makes me a little nervous. But AJ. Yes. <laughs> let's bring out our bowrometer like we do at the end of each episode. And we determine if this particular episode was a win or a loss for our BAU team. What do you have? Yeah, I mean, look, let's be honest. They shouldn't have been on this case in the first place. This case should never have existed. Uh, having said that, they were able to, to to get everything. But, I mean, the last victims were were Kat, who they didn't save, and Morris, who put herself in the damn position, and it's really her fault. I'm, you know, I'm just going to pretend this didn't happen and call it a push. <laughs> Fair, very fair. Uh, and the other thing we like to do at the end of a uh, episode, AJ, is a little thing I like to call three questions. And uh, it's inspired by the episode that we just watched. So do you have something for me this week, sir? Nope. See you. Bye. No, of course I do. Right. Oh, of course okay. I do. Uh, here we go. Question. Number one, inspired by this episode, uh, Rick Tockett holds the career record with the Philadelphia Flyers in what statistic? Let me think about it for a minute. Have you heard the name Rick Tockett? No, I have not. So I have no idea what era we are talking. At least... I assume the sport is ice hockey. I said it's fired. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I'm trying to think of how it might relate to the episode. What stat, what hockey stat would make sense here to me? And I'm not going to get it unless I think for a long time and maybe not even then. So I am just going to say that Tockett holds the, the record for the most penalty minutes. I don't know. Penalty minutes because he is a bad man from Philadelphia is the correct answer. Wow. Well done. He <laughs> also has a second. He has a second record. I will accept penalty minutes. He is the Flyers leader. He also has a second record. He has nine career Gordie Howe hat tricks. And I don't know if you're familiar with what a Gordie Howe hat trick is, but it is a game where a player has scored a goal, uh, made an assist, and also gotten into a fight. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, wow. Nine <laughs> of them. <laughs> Correct answers. Yeah. Penalty man. It's just a bad man from Philadelphia. That's what we saw. All right. Today. Cool. Well done. Uh, speaking of a bad man from Philadelphia, let's talk about our unsub in this episode, portrayed by one Christopher Allen Nelson. Now, you may not know this, but Christopher Allen Nelson uh, helps us add to our list of Academy Award winners to have appeared on Criminal Minds, uh, Melissa Leo, I remember back mm-hmm. in the day. Uh, Christopher Allen Nelson is an Academy Award winner. He won an Oscar in the year 2017. 
I will tell you what film he got this Oscar for. I need you to tell me what category he won this Oscar in. And the film was Suicide Squad. I'm shocked that Suicide Squad was nominated for an Oscar. Uh. (laughs) And he won it. I don't know at all. I'm going to say uh, special effects. Special effects is an awesome guess because Christopher Allen Nelson is an FX master. Uh However, (laughs) while nominated for many FX related uh, awards, he actually won an Oscar in 2017 for his achievement in makeup and hairstyling. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Which, according to the writers of this episode, makes him a bisexual. (laughs) Uh, I I just find it fascinating that he's an Academy Award winner who's he's adding to the list, uh, which which does will grow, will grow. There will be more. (laughs) Wow. I I wouldn't have got that one, but good for him. Good for Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Unbelievable. All right. You got one right. You got one wrong. Uh, Question three. My favorite question each week. What is the plot going to be of our next episode? Which is Criminal Minds. Season three, episode 14. Entitled Damaged. 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 Is it A, J.J.? Garcia and Emily go out for a girls' night only to slowly realize that their bartender might have nefarious plans for how their evening will end. Mm. Is it B? Morgan gets some time off. And while he once again thinks he's going to be luxuriating with the ladies on a beach, he instead gets roped into (laughs) another murder investigation (laughs) at a resort. Is it C? While Rossi takes care of some personal business, Hotch and Reed interview a serial killer who quickly turns the tables on them. Or is it D? While the BAU preps for his surprise birthday party, Rossi goes missing. Could it be someone from his past looking for revenge? Mm. AJ, as usual, these are all excellent choices, and I wouldn't be surprised if more than one of them are actual episodes coming up. <laughs> I really want it to be Morgan goes to a resort, and I, I'm hoping Rossi is with uh Sorry, Prentice is with him. Um, just for uh, giggles, that would be entertaining to me. I don't think it's going to be that. For no reason at all, I'm going to say, what was the one? I think it was D. Rossi had some issue with his past, or was that C? Or what did you say, Rossi? Well, C and D both have Rossi in them. So C uh, C is Rossi takes care of personal business, and then Hotch and Reed go and interview a serial killer. Uh, D is the BAU preps for his surprise birthday party and Rossi goes missing, it might be someone from his past. Okay, I'm going with D. They're doing a birthday party, and Rossi goes missing. And, you know, just because you go missing doesn't mean something nefarious has happened. You could just not show up to the birthday party because you don't like birthdays. I mean, that's certainly plausible. I mean, who likes birthdays? Some people. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Now, 
Well, I would love to see JJ Garcia and Emily out on the town. And we will at some point see them do that very thing. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's not the major plot of an episode. Uh, sorry, you are not correct. Rossi's going to take care of some personal <laughs> business. And Hotch and Reed are going to go interview a serial killer who quickly turns the table. <laughs> okay, that's great. Well, at least I had it narrowed down to a Rossi episode, but I was sure you were going to tell me Morgan was going to another resort. <laughs> Not again, Playa! It was pronounced Playa. La Playa. Wow. Well, I am certainly looking forward to that. And uh, folks, that is the show for this week. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. As usual, we hope you had a great time. Please be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review your our podcast on your favorite podcast platform, whichever that may be. Spread the word. Let your friends know about us. You can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kintad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. The more you stand in the limelight, the more scarred you will become, and the more you will love the limelight. Preston Sturgis. <laughs>